the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I see my name in shiny lights, yeah, a different city every night, oh, I, I swear, the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. And indeed, we're all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here on with Get Down to Business. And I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at shalomkline.com. And while you're there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information you will not want to miss. So let's jump right in. I'm thrilled to be joined by the one and only James Mackey, CEO of Secure Vision. Since 2015, Secure Vision has partnered with over 140 venture capital-backed tech companies ranging from growth stage to enterprise clients who recruit talent in every department. James is passionate about building talent acquisition solutions that align with real business outcomes and ending a seemingly endless cycle of frustration that most leaders experience with hiring. James, Maggie, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. Absolutely excited to have you. We love talking about you know business jobs and entrepreneurship, and certainly uh, you know your your story touches really in all three of those categories. So, James, I always love to get to know the person behind the microphone. How did you uh, become who you are, and obviously end up as the CEO of Secure Vision? What's your story been, and why did you become so passionate about talent acquisition? Well, I you know I had always I wanted to to be a business owner, and I think there was always a part of me too that just believed that business business ownership was a really important part of living life to the fullest. And so I always wanted to fill my life with incredible experiences. And when I look back on my life, I want to have uh, stories and moments that I'm I'm really proud of. So the founding days of Secure Vision were actually based around me. Uh, you're working a full time position in recruiting. Uh, that I was, I was, uh, I worked very hard for uh, to get into. Particularly being a college dropout, it was it was difficult for me to break into the industry. But I was bored as hell, and I ended up meeting a girl. And I said, "Hey, look, um, you know, neither of us seem to be very happy in our jobs. What if we quit and we go travel around Europe?" And for some reason, she said yes. And so we quit. You know, we quit our jobs and moved to Europe. And I only had five grand saved up. And so, as you can imagine, quickly ran out of money. And I was like, well, oh, crap, like, what am I going to do? And so I was like, well, what do I know how to do? I know how to recruit people. And so that was actually how Secure Vision was founded. It's kind of a strange founding story. But for the first three years, I lived in 10 different countries and I was working remotely and I signed up Grubhub and WeWork and some other big companies. And after the first few years, it really started to scale. And so then I you know, settled down a little bit. I, I'd still travel for work, but not, not like a digital nomad at this point in time. And we have over 150 clients, and we worked with some really incredible tech companies at this point. 
So uh, somewhat out of desperation, but uh, certainly it's uh, developed in something that uh, your clients I know are desperate for the solutions that you provide. Um, we could talk on and on about the travel and, and uh, you know, just your story of entrepreneurship. But let's touch on really the, uh, the meat and potatoes um, of, of what you guys do. Um, again, we've got a lot of uh, big businesses, small businesses that tune in to get down to business. But where can companies find high leverage, high impact wins to improve their talent acquisition outcomes? Because that's certainly a hot topic as we uh, kick off 2023. Oh, there's there's so many great things that that companies can do. I think the the main thing is not being tone deaf, making sure that you're listening to candidates and employees. They'll give you feedback. Uh, you know, on the employee side, doing employee surveys, figuring out what matters to them, and also taking feedback in the interview process. Right? If you have candidates that drop out of the process for any reason, do we do? Does your talent acquisition team know exactly why? Uh, you need to understand those things and understand the top three lost reasons. So I think that that's always a, sure. a great place to to start. Do you have any follow up questions on that, or I can I can keep sharing other things too? Yeah, well, you know, I'm I'm really curious, especially when in in watching uh, in watching companies that sort of make big mistakes, and and you know, so I'm curious what holes do you typically see companies fall into when building sort of their talent acquisition solutions, like. You know, businesses have an idea; they know what they're good at, but then they they can't seem to scale up. It's really simply because they can't seem to find the people to build up with that company. So, so along the lines of what you were just saying, what what are some of the things that you see over and over again? Sure. So, uh, pretty typical stuff. I mean, so evaluating top loss reasons. Do that. Make sure you understand your data. A lot of people run talent acquisition from this relationship perspective, and the reality is, it's a science. So, one of the things companies need to do is you need to run your recruiting organization at, at, like a revenue org. So if you look in revenue organizations, whether sales or marketing, it's usually very data-driven. It has a robust tech stack. There's a lot of process around scaling out those organizations. But then when you look at talent acquisition, it's like a freaking void. You really don't see that stuff. You might see like one applicant tracking system, but the tech stack is totally lacking. There's no scalable process. People don't understand the numbers. They don't understand their conversion rates, their time and stage, their top loss reasons. Uh, they don't understand cost per source. Like they might understand their cost per hire, right? How much resources go into making a single hire, but they haven't segmented out that by here's the cost if it's outbound, here if it's inbound, and they haven't segmented out conversion rates either. So they really don't have any understanding of which candidate channels, basically wherever they're finding the candidates, are actually scalable versus which ones are creating huge inefficiencies, other through cost, other you know whether it be through cost or time. So there's things like that. Um, I could take a step back and just do the simple stuff. You know, salaries really need to be important. We've had a lot of inflation, and so we're seeing increased salaries. Uh, remote flexibility is very important. Uh, so unless you're like a Google or an Apple and you have enough uh, leverage to pull people into an office, it's usually better to provide that remote flexibility and, you know, people are looking for more balance. Uh, you know, we've seen a, a massive cultural shift over the past couple of years. So to the extent that uh, you can provide good work-life balance, uh, great PTO policies, minimum PTO policies are becoming more popular. If you can guarantee people that they're going to get a couple of weeks off uh, minimum every year, that, that can be a great uh, great way to attract talent. You know, a lot the sentiment kind of across the United States right now is people are burnt out. People want balance. Uh, so I think that that's very important. And, and then one other thing is I, I think uh, we need to be okay with tenure being lower. People aren't going to stay at a company for five years anymore. 
And so I, I hear a lot of conversation around tenure happening. And I get it. I think we should always try to do career tracking and get people to stay longer. But also, we need to build our organizations in such a way that can actually thrive with people staying under two years. So part of the tenure conversation needs to be based around how can we turn employees into value creators faster? How can we optimize onboarding and enablement and training and all of these things so that when people walk into the role, they can actually start to generate quality outcomes faster, opposed to just looking at tenure saying, okay, do I believe this person is going to stay with me for three years? Because many of the most valuable companies in the world, the most valuable tech companies in the world have average tenures under two years. I was speaking with the chief mm -hmm. people officer over at LinkedIn who scaled the company from 300 to 3000 employees. And he said, while he was at LinkedIn, while the company was scaling, the average tenure was nine months. So I think when wow. people are evaluating talent, don't get scared away from job hoppers. This is becoming the, sure. the norm and uh, you need to adapt to the way the reality is. Well, well James, I, I want to I segue for a moment, as, as, you know, especially as we talk to small business owners that are out there that you know, might be using a recruitment agency. And I know you mentioned that you, this is actually sort of how you got started. You know, how can our uh, entrepreneurial business owner listeners select a recruitment agency and you know, what's that right model? I know that there's a couple of different factors involved, contingent, retain, RPO. Uh, give us the 60-second uh, the answer on, on, on what our listeners need to know. So you have a few options. You have contingent, which means fee-based, meaning some uh, agency places a candidate with you and then you pay them a flat fee. Then you have retained search where you pay a portion of that fee up front and the rest of it upon completion. And then you have RPO or embedded recruiting, which you're basically paying a monthly or an annual or whatever the terms are subscription where you're borrowing a recruiter. So it's basically like a recruiter acting like an internal recruiter of yours for as long as you need them. So those are your three options. It can be dependent upon business needs to some extent, contingent firms. Some people prefer for it to be success-based, but they're gonna be a lot more expensive and the quality might be a little bit less. Uh, then you have embedded recruiting, which you're paying a subscription regardless of placement, but generally it's a much lower cost for hire and you can get a higher quality recruiter. So those are essentially mm -hmm. the, the options that you have in front of you, whether you're looking to select an agency or start sure. one. Do you have any follow-up questions there? Well, James, yeah, James, perhaps the most important follow-up that I have is, you know, getting people in touch with you. I know you're very passionate about the work that you do, very passionate about educating folks. And of course, your work at Secure Vision is, uh, is fantastic. How can we get in touch with you and your team? Yeah, find me on LinkedIn. It's James Mackey, M-A-C-K-E-Y. You can also go to our website at securevision.io. And lastly, I host a podcast called Talent Acquisition Trends and Strategy. It's number one on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So make sure to check that out as well. Well, James Mackey, Secure Vision, really appreciate your time, your expertise. I look forward to having you back on to educate on all things talent acquisition. Thank you so, so much for joining us. We've got to squeeze in a very quick break here on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship, but we will be right back in just a moment. Don't touch that dial.
Welcome back to Get That Business, the show about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I'm thrilled to be joined by business growth advisor, podcast host, and entrepreneur, that's Samantha Hartley, who helps consultants multiply revenues without exhaustion. I love that, by working with perfect clients. In fact, Samantha Hartley works with consultants who are ready to break through the plateau and multiply revenue. Um, Samantha helps them multiply their revenues without exhaustion by working with perfect clients on transformational engagements so they can have profitable joyful consultancies. Samantha, welcome to Get Down to Business. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Shalom. Absolutely. I always love to get to know the person behind the microphone. I know before starting your own business, you've worked in international marketing for Coca-Cola and you live on Martha's Vineyard. I'm really curious to hear your story and how you got into uh, this passionate world of entrepreneurship. I uh, had a great time in the field with the Coca-Cola company. And then when they brought me into corporate, I was like, yuck, not my place. Uh, I really like to be near the point of sale where the action is happening. And so I left. And um, as soon as I left, all, a lot of my contacts from the company were starting new businesses and said, "Let's, um, why don't you come in and consult for us? And so I kind of fell into consulting that way. Wild. Totally wild. I love it. And um, that's great. And now you, as we said, uh, you've been working with so many uh, uh, consultants out there um, and you've got a method to medicine. We're not going to sort of share all of the uh, secrets over here. But one thing that you talk about a lot and you've been featured on many podcasts in addition to hosting your own is how you help folks add hundreds of thousands of dollars to their business with with a single offer. So let's talk a little bit about that. What what are some of the things that you sort of cracked the code on as you uh, started working with consultants all over the globe? I think the core thing that I noticed was that a lot of people would work on a short-term project work. That's like classically the consulting model. You go in, you work on a project, and then you leave. And what I experienced when I did that was that the results wouldn't stick uh, because any of us who've worked in corporations uh, know, you know, they they change their focus. They like there's the flavor of the day, and then we move on to something else, or there's a new initiative, or whatever. And so uh, uh, the short-term focus would not lead to the kind of results that I wanted to see with my clients. And so what I began to do was to say, listen, I'm going to be available to you for a year, even though we'll get results quickly for you, I'm going to be available to you for a year. And then I began to uh, realize that they couldn't metabolize uh, an intensive, um, you know, uh, first few months, it was, uh, it was too much for them to take on. And I, you know, the analogy I use is, Uh, to like tax time for all of us as entrepreneurs, you know, you're running your business, you've already got plenty on your plate. And then suddenly there's this, like, I have this special project, which is getting all my taxes in. Uh, And, you know, it's this huge, like on top of everything else. And that's really what it's like for a lot of our clients. When we come in to work with them, they have everything else going on. And then we bring in these special projects. So what I realized was if we extend the work over the course of a year, because really that's how long it takes humans to um, make change, make changes happen and then make them stick, that we would get better results for our clients. So all of my work really began with the idea of getting better results for the clients. Now, when you do that, naturally, how, uh, we can charge more money because the, the results are better, the results stick. And so my clients began who went in doing short-term projects for you know, $25,000, dollars $75,000, they were suddenly able to say, no, I'm going to work with you for longer, and that's going to be beginning at $100,000 per engagement. And um, many of my clients uh, are charging you know, upwards of uh, $250,000 to $1,000,000 for the engagements they come in and do with their clients. 
Wow. Um, that's, that's awesome, Samantha. Thank you. Again, I'm chatting with Samantha Harley, business growth advisor, podcast host, and entrepreneur. And speaking of that last term regarding entrepreneurship, um, which many, many of the listeners of Get Down to Business are, uh, is you talk a lot about three keys to profitable and joyful entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. kicking off a new year. And everybody wants to certainly be profitable, but I actually want to highlight that, uh, that second word over there, joyful. How did you uh, discover, uh, you know, sort of how to break through the challenges of entrepreneurship and actually make sure that you're smiling every day? Well, it's interesting because I think joy is different from happiness. Like joy is the kind of thing that you you feel and you experience when you, I think you're doing meaningful work, when you think you're delivering your gifts to the world and when you're working with perfect clients. And this is the key, you know, the biggest determiner of profit in a business and also joy, obviously, is that you work with perfect clients and they aren't necessarily like perfect people. We're all flawed, but they are people who exactly what they need is exactly what you do. And so when you have that kind of market uh, value fit uh, and you're working with the right people, then you know, you're flowing your gifts, they're receiving your gifts, you're, um, you're doing great work for them, they're really benefiting from it, your work is necessarily going to be more um, profitable, because uh, perfect clients, like they want exactly what you do, they refer you to good people, they bring the best out of your work, they implement, which is a key thing for um, uh, in my work, I want to see people implement so that they actually get the, uh, the value that I promise. Um, and so that really led me to realize that, you know, we should be having fun, every day in our businesses, we should be experiencing that joy, even in the challenges, even when we're in the trenches with our clients, that like working on purpose gives you that feeling of being like really in the right place at the right time. So that's the joy factor. And believe it or not, you know, uh, when you're more joyful in your business, you can also be more profitable. And I knew as business owners, of course, we want to be profitable, but everybody was like, oh, but you have to have a hard slog and you have to like do all these things. And I was like, no, it's not a, it's not a no pain, no gain situation. It's a, you can um, really, you know, focus and work in the right areas and experience the joy that you want in your business. And as I say, if I wanted to be miserable, I would have stayed back at corporate. So, so let's talk about being miserable in companies. Um, you know, I, I know many consultants that are out there that are miserable because they have simply atrocious clients. They have, uh, they have folks that really are painful to work with. They're just not happy. Um, yeah. you know, with, with, you know, while, that check every month is, is certainly nice when it deposits into the account. Um, they definitely do not feel that they have perfect clients. You say this several times um, in your uh, podcast interviews that I've listened to is it's all about finding those perfect clients. What does that mean to you? It means looking for people who need what you do. So if you look at the essence of what you are really good at, like these are the results. When I work with the right people, the right fit clients, these are the results that I can get. And what I love about it is you can actually promise bigger results because you know that your perfect clients get them. So you can make bold promises. So when I work with perfect clients, these are consultants who are um, uh have a like a specialty. They really do something amazing for their clients. They've been in business for at least a year. They've had at least three clients. They've made at least $150,000. I can promise them you will double your business the year you work with me. Why? Because my perfect clients implement, uh, they are, and you know, they're doing something great for their clients. And that's about it. Like those are when, when you get really clear on those kind of qualifications, like what makes a client perfect for you, as opposed to what makes them terrible for you. And this is true throughout entrepreneurship. If you really focus on who gets the best benefits, the biggest benefits of working for you, then first of all, you're going to be more joyful than you've ever been because you'll be working with people who really want to receive what you're doing and you're more profitable. You know, just think when you've worked with clients who are a dreadful fit for you, 
they they waste your time. Uh, they don't they're late with payments. They don't make good referrals. They don't get the work. You can't use them for testimonials or case studies because they're just not you know, they're not receiving your gifts. They're not applying your gifts. They're not applying their own gifts. So those kind of mismatches make work miserable, I think. Um, and we don't need to be miserable as self-employed people. We can, you know, seek joy in our work. And what's fabulous is that when you seek joy and you're really working with the right people, the profits follow. Interesting. Um, again, I'm chatting with the uh, with the host of the Profitable Joyful Consulting Podcast. That's Samantha Hartley, who's a business growth advisor, podcast host, and entrepreneur. And Samantha, you know, I always love to li- leave our listeners with a little homework assignment. And uh, I think you are the perfect person to assign it to them uh, this weekend. Get down to business. What if folks remember just one, one thing from our conversation? What do you want them to implement in the new week, the new the new month, the new year uh, ahead? Here's what I'd love them to do is think about the, the closest thing that you have ever had to a perfect client and uh, write, write down their name at the, the top of a sheet of paper and then brainstorm what are all of the qualities that made them perfect for you. Uh, and then you can refine it and say, well, they would have been a little more perfect if they'd, ha- if they'd done this, this, and this. And what you have there is a profile of your perfect client. And then when you're looking, when you're doing your marketing, you can call them out and say, my perfect client actually, well, they struggled in this area, but their values were this. This was what was important to them. Uh, this is this becomes an ideal client avatar. And you can market to this uh, and bring those people into your business. You can also go to your existing perfect clients and say, hey, um, Sarah, you know what? You are an amazing client. I, I adore working with you. And what I would love it is if you would help me to connect with other perfect clients just like you. Who else uh, do you know is, and then you call out those qualities in them. That's the way to get referrals from other perfect clients. I love it. I love it. And by the way, I'll, I'll say that the same holds true in the job search as well is definitely uh, identify who your uh, ideal job uh, profile uh, looks like. But uh, we'll spend more time talking about that and get down to business. Samantha, I want to make sure our listeners get in touch with you. How can we reach you on, on web or on LinkedIn? You can find me on LinkedIn, Samantha Hartley. Uh, I am right there. And uh, also on the internet, you can find me at samanthahartley.com. And I do have a fun um, free resource that is called Six Figure Clients. It's sixfigureclients.com. It's about how you can add more six-figure clients to your business. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show of small business jobs and entrepreneurship. So again, theme in January, certainly uh, it continues to be New Year's. I've learned that after February 1st, it's definitely no longer appropriate to say Happy New Year. But as long as it's January, it is still the end of one wild year and it's time to look forward to that upcoming New Year. For many, that means looking for New Year's resolution ideas, setting new goals, but if you're like most people, it also probably means that seeing those resolutions fly out the window before Valentine's Day, if you are lucky. So it's great to make resolutions. There's also a way for us to look forward um, to the new year uh, with optimism. And that's what I want to talk about here. We talked last week about bookkeeping best practices. And I want to talk about optimism that's active rather than passive. It's the proclamation of how you want the new year to be better and how you're going to do it. Problem comes when those resolutions are too generic and impossible to measure. So this year, let's look at your career. Let's set some firm, measurable goals that you could actually track and you could actually achieve. And so I'm going to share a couple of key things that I've learned from listeners of Get Down to Business. Firstly, do five things stay healthier at work. Everyone's concerned about health. Losing weight is certainly one of the most common New Year's resolutions out there for a reason. You spend a lot of time at work, so consider what's best for you to do for your health while you're there. Try to think of five simple ways to stay healthier 
at work, pack a sensible lunch, take the stairs, get up and stretch every hour, test out a standing desk, switch your office chair for an exercise ball, think small, and you'll find those little things add up. Learn a new skill. No matter what field you're in, there's hundreds of new skills you can learn that can greatly benefit your career. Think about one that you've been meaning to learn. Set it as one of your work goals for the year and get it done. You won't regret it. If it can enhance your work and your current job, your company might even be willing to pay for it. And read one career-related or motivational book. This is my New Year's resolution for sure. Reading does wonders for your mind. No matter your job, there's a book out there that can improve your performance, your outlook, or your personal habits. Even if you think you already know what you need to know, reading a great book on professional development can indeed give you a great new perspective. Update your resume? Yeah, when was the last time you gave your resume a thorough look through? Is the style of your resume modern and still current? Is the information correct? Make it a work goal for the year to review and edit your resume, even if you don't plan on applying elsewhere. It's always best to update your resume periodically before you lose track of the information you need. Create at least one new professional networking connection per month. There's no downside to increasing your professional network. In fact, LinkedIn um, will uh, will really be helpful to help you stay in touch. You'll probably meet people all the time, but do you really take the time to listen, grab their business card, connect with them? Try to find at least one person per month to add to your LinkedIn connections and watch your network blossom. Speaking of LinkedIn, how does your profile look? In the professional world, LinkedIn is crucial to your overall professional brand. Just like your resume, you need to keep the information, tone, and look of it up to date. Check out some of your connections profiles and see if they're doing anything different that positively grabs your attention. So tweak your page, create a similar effect. If you don't have a LinkedIn profile or you want help writing a winning LinkedIn profile for your job search, consider investing in some of those improvements. Clean out your physical and digital file cabinets. We talked about this last week. We talked about it as far as bookkeeping. This New Year's resolution idea can double as one for home too. Many of us have file cabinets that are filled with old papers that are not remotely relevant to our work anymore. It doesn't take long to clean them out. You'll be so glad you did. Weed through those files, recycle what you don't need, and organize the rest. This goes, by the way, for your computer files too. It will make a big difference. Sign up to follow one relevant blog. There's a world free information, insider tips, great motivational writers online. Find the blog that you enjoy, whether it's specific to your industry or just someone who puts a little pep in your step, and sign up to follow it. Don't know where to find one? Ask around the office. If you find one your coworkers like, it also becomes a topic for conversation. It's a win-win. Find a work mentor. The right mentor can be a powerful tool to propel your career forward. Is there a person at your company, someone who's a step or two above you, who you deeply respect? Don't, don't just look up to them. Ask if he or she is willing to be your work mentor. It works best if it's a recognized relationship between the two of you. Set workplace goals together for the new year and have a little bit of fun while you're out there as well. Um, last bit of advice, and then we'll recap. Get a new professional headshot. If you cringe every time you look at your profile photo on LinkedIn, then consider the new year to be a great time to invest in a new one. Depending on your career goals and the type of company culture you like best, your profile picture may be casual or professional in its nature. The kids select the photo that's high quality, at least 400 by 400 pixels, no larger than eight megabytes in file size and does not exceed 20,000 pixels in height or width. Most importantly, you want a picture that truly represents who you are, both personally and professionally. So there you go, some 10 tips for the new year, those New Year's resolutions that will help you both in the office, maybe even at home. To recap again, find those five things that will help you stay healthier at work, learn a new skill, read one career-related or motivational book, update your resume, create at least one new powerful and professional networking connection per month, review and improve your LinkedIn profile, clean out your physical and digital file cabinet, sign up to follow one relevant 
blog, find a work mentor and get a new professional headshot. All of those things will help you stand out for success. And speaking of, about standing out for success, definitely always encourage you to check out our amazing sponsors of Get Down to Business by visiting Tom Mirabali, uh, independent agent for Blue Cross Blue Shield. You could call him at 630-863-3477, 630-863-3477. Visit his well, website, healthplanchicago.com. You won't regret it. He gives a free consultation to all listeners of Get Down to Business. And again, a great resource for all of your health insurance needs. Get on my website, shalomkline.com. That's where you can download the past nine plus years of shows all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. And you can subscribe, rate, review, and share. In fact, that's the easiest way so you don't miss a single episode of the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Don't touch that dial. We will be right back on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurships. Don't go anywhere. Coming right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I've been very excited by this conversation. I'm thrilled to be joined by Ron Ross, the co-founder, president, and chief operating officer of Every, um, who is helping to put an end to two-week pay cycles for good. That sounds pretty exciting to me. Ron is the president, co-founder, chief operating officer of of Every, a payroll and business payments platform that's disrupting the two-week payment cycle. He has over 25 years of experience leading software as a service businesses uh, and consumer brands. We'll talk all about uh, Ron's background, but Ron, welcome to the program. Thanks, Shalom. It's a pleasure to have you. So, Ron, um, you know, in reading about your background, you have uh, quite a a bit of uh, history over here. I'm curious what led you into this world of, I believe you spent most of your time in the world of, call it finance. um, And how did you end up in that? And how did that lead into the payroll world? Uh, Great question. You know, my my background is uh, I've uh, been a CFO a few times over. So accounting finance is where I've spent most of my professional career. Um, it was in the last company that I was in before I, I started Every, where I discovered uh, this this problem around payroll. And it started when uh, it was in the summer of 2017 when my daughter Eliza left home uh, to go to college. And she moved away. It was about a half hour away from where we live. And she was living off campus and she had a job and she was making enough to pay her bills. However, she kept coming to me month after month for these uh, short term loans. And really what I discovered back then was there was this interesting mismatch in timing uh, between when her bills were coming due and uh, when she was getting paid. And it was a problem that I just kept thinking, thinking about over and over again, um, how, you know, the pay cycle and the mismatch in timing when, when uh, employees work and when they get paid causes a lot of problems for uh, employees that live paycheck to paycheck. And my daughter, she she doesn't like me sharing that. I think she feels like she did something wrong. She she didn't do anything wrong. I think it's uh, something that most uh, U.S. workers face. In fact, uh, um, stats show that it's about 68% of U.S. workers live paycheck to paycheck like my daughter was at that time. Um, and so a lot of people run into that problem. Yeah, no question about it. Um, you know, the majority of people are indeed uh, dealing with this uh, challenge. And I love the story um, of how it sort of inspired you. So, you know, we, we can go in so many different directions and we'll have an opportunity to cover them all. But let's talk about that, uh, that entrepreneurship side of things, you know, from, yeah. from you 
sort of identifying the need and, and launching this business. You've certainly uh, grown it many, many times in size. Your team is now five times the size. You've mm-hmm. raised um, seed and Series A uh, financing rounds totaling $14 million um, in April 2019 and 2020, respectively. What has that experience been like? And what maybe advice do you have for fellow entrepreneurs that might be tuning in, sort of facing a similar challenge of having a great idea, but having to find a way to make it a reality? Uh, yeah, and for me, it was particularly hard because, um, you know, I going all the way back to when I was in school uh, in my I, I did an MBA program. And uh, during that MBA program, uh, there was a class I took in entrepreneurship and the instructor would bring in each week a new entrepreneur and they would tell their story. And I just became very fascinated with the idea of entrepreneurship. Um, however, for me, I'm more of an introvert, and so I saw these bigger-than-life personalities um, that were entrepreneurs, and I just didn't feel like it was a fit for me. And so I always felt like I would play more of a supporting role, uh, supporting cast in in a startup. And that's what I did for most of my professional career. You know, I, I left my MBA program after I finished and went into accounting for a short stint in public accounting and then jumped into my first startup. And then for me, what I found was helpful is that each company that I I went to, and there were um, five companies in total, I progressively went into earlier and earlier stage businesses. And in doing that, I became more and more familiar with the problems that early stage businesses face. And uh, towards the end of it, it just became uh, more comfortable for me to be in that environment. And so the idea of starting a business on my own became less scary. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're in a perfect perch, um, you know, being a business owner yourself, you understand that mismatch that you referred to earlier talking about your daughter um, of, you know, sort of how companies typically, you know, use a payroll service, one of the big names out there. Um, some of them have acronyms and some of them might rhyme with uh, HX. Um, but uh, I'm curious, why does the payroll industry still support that sort of outdated pay cycle that's causing, you know, folks like your daughter and, and countless more to have to borrow money from their parents? You know, that's, that's a great question. Uh, it started around in the, in the 1940s where um, Congress created an act that required businesses to begin withholding taxes from their employees to remit that to the government. And, you know, over time, uh, that began the, the process of uh, having to withhold the, the taxes and do all the calculations became cumbersome. And so businesses started to outsource that. And you would have expected like in the 80s when software began to be more prevalent that that would improve and speed things up. However, it didn't. It's, it's sort of set in as a norm, the, the two-week or um, twice-a-month pay cycle, a semi-monthly pay cycle. It set in as a norm. And what I found in the early days as I was looking into, um, you know, why the payroll cycle exists, um, I discovered a, um, a, a secret or, or um, what I would consider a, a little unknown secret in the payroll world mm-hmm. that um, payroll companies actually benefit off of moving slow. If you go to any public payroll companies, uh, 10Q or 10K, which is their public filings. It's when they file their financial statements. You'll see a line in their revenue section that says interest income. So um, what they do is they actually hold on to. Well, well, Ron, we're going to continue that conversation. 
Ron, we're going we're gonna to continue that piece and actually uh, dive into that secret that these payroll companies have and why, again, your team is uh, cracking the code and doing amazing things. Sure. Um, we'll be right back uh, with Ron Ross from Every when we get back and get down to business. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I'm back with the one and only Ron Ross, president and COO of every payroll platform that eases the payroll process for both employers and employees. And just prior to the break, Ron was telling us something that maybe some of the traditional payroll uh, industry and companies uh, don't want us to know. Ron, um, uh, bringing you back in. Uh, again, thanks for joining us on Get Down to Business. Again, why are payroll companies sort of motivated to work slowly? Sure. I guess there was a little bit of a cliffhanger there. So let's get back into that. Uh, Yeah, it's a dirty little secret that most people don't know. Um, When you look at payroll as a process, what these larger payroll companies do is they will sit on the money that's that's pulled from companies' accounts, uh, you know, meant to be distributed to employees and taxing authorities. They'll sit on it and they'll invest that money and earn interest off of it. And Again, when you go back to, or when you look at any public company, public payroll company's financial statements, you'll see a, a line in their revenue section that says interest income. And this is the income that they're, they're um, receiving off of investing that money that they're sitting on. So they're incentivized to move slow. And I found that it distasteful. Um, you know, it, it's an, a disincentive for them um, to move things fast. And we just view things differently at every we want to get employees their pay as fast as possible. And so we don't sit on any of the deposits. In fact, we, we get them, um, the employees paid instantly or within the same day. And so we move much faster than regular payroll companies do. Well, definitely one of the key takeaways that we're going to have is getting our listeners in touch with you and your team at Every, which we'll do in just a moment. But Ron, while we just have one minute remaining in our conversation, um, I am curious if you were to uh, sort of look at your crystal ball and look at the payroll industry. Um, obviously, Every, you are uh, you are very focused on on a very innovative approach. What are some of the things you're expecting, perhaps, if we were to ta- if we were to have this conversation in 2028? Yeah, it's been fascinating for me. So. Uh, every we I started it about five years ago with some co-founders, um, and over that time period, we've seen a lot of things change uh, in the expectations around uh, when employees get paid and the speed in which they get paid. And I think uh, we've seen that driven um, by the gig workforce and the, the gig marketplace and how that's evolving. And you know, currently there's. 59, 60 million gig workers out there, which accounts for roughly 40% of the U.S. workforce. And the expectation in that market is that they get paid when they finish a job or finish a delivery. Um, And so the expectations around the speed to pay are starting to change. And that's starting to bleed into the rest of the workforce. So fast forward, you know, um, call it a decade from now, I expect that workers are going to want to be paid faster. And that's going to uh, change the way we think about payroll. And um, wow, fantastic! That's my expectation. When you look at technology in general, it always moves to real time, and I can think of many examples of that. And I think pay is going to be similar, and the the expectation around that sure. is going to move to real time. Well, Ron, I'm looking forward to having you back on because I know we're going to be following this, and this is something that impacts every single business owner and every single employee. Um, so we need to follow this carefully. But Ron, as promised, we want to make sure our, our listeners get in touch with you and your team at Every. How can we do that? 
Sure. They can go to every.com and that's spelled E-V-E-R-E-E.com. Or you can find me and our company on LinkedIn, or if you go to EveryPay on Twitter or Facebook, EveryPay is the handle. Fantastic. Ron Ross, thank you so much for sharing your expertise, your crystal ball um, forecast of the payroll industry and why, again, Every is uh, making a difference for uh, employees and employers all over the world. We'll certainly have you back on real soon. It's been a great show today. We've had some great folks on sharing their expertise on everything small business jobs and entrepreneurship, but the best way for you to continue to be smarter um, in, uh, in everything that you do is to follow uh, our podcast um, where we have some just amazing, amazing guests on a weekly basis. Get down to business. You won't miss a single show. Go on your favorite podcast app, search for Get Down to Business, or go to my website, shellandkline.com. Subscribe, rate, review, and share. It makes it easier for others to find the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. To success, let's get down to business. We'll talk to you next Sunday at 6 p.m. right here on N560 The Answer. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com